Audible.com is a leading provider of audiobooks. Sign up today for a free 30-day trial at searchenginejournal.com forward slash audible and get your first book for free. SCJ Summit 2016 is coming to Santa Monica, Chicago, and New York City. With a focus on actionable marketing for SEOs by SEOs, SCJ Summit is a can't-miss event. Get $50 off your ticket now by using the code SCJNERD. Learn more at searchenginejournal.com slash SCJSummit2016. We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world, and all we can think about is where... Where can I hook up my mom? Digital pen, hard at work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. Who should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Marketing Nerds. I'm Brent Satoris. Today, I am joined by Heidi Young, who is the Principal Engineering Lead at Oslo, um, which is actually an interesting new AI uh, program. I, I say new. I don't know how new it actually is. I will find out a little bit more about that as, as well as the actual project itself shortly. But uh, first off, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, you know, um, one of the things that I was reading about, which I found kind of interesting because I looked at your title, it's like Principal Engineering Lead and everything, is that, that you actually have quite a bit of a background in search. Um, and, and, and I'm kind of curious about like, where did you get into search? How did search marketing lead you to like conversational search? I mean, it's not a huge stretch for some people to kind of get there, especially with where things have been going. But I'm curious kind of like how you got there. And then I'm curious to hear how you ended up at Oslo after, you know, kind of that path track. Totally. So, uh, yeah, my, my passion for search goes a long, long way back, all the way back to my university days. For my master's project, I, did, I wrote a search engine on top of protein databases um, from the National Institute of Health. And that kind of, I think, sparked the passion for me. I worked a variety of different jobs uh, and landed at Microsoft in roughly 2005 right around the time that Microsoft was building uh, the next best search engine was what it was billed to me. (laughs) Uh, At the time, it was called MSN Search. And when I joined the team, uh, we shipped a V1 product. We used to offload all of our search results to uh, Inktomi, if you remember way back in the day. And when I joined, we were building an in-house search engine. So I got the really, really awesome experience of growing, building a search engine from the ground floor up uh, and then fighting against one of the best companies on the planet, Google, right? So uh, I spent eight years at Microsoft in search, actually, from MSN search, and then I helped ship uh, the live search product. And then finally, what we settled on was Bing. And I spent so much time, you know, converting people from (laughs) trying to convert people from, you know, this really, really amazing product into something that Microsoft was investing a lot of money in. uh, But people just weren't willing to switch, even though it was free. And so um, a majority of my time in that conversion state was spent trying to understand information needs and how people search. Uh, And where I arrived at the end of it, my last three years that I was in Bing, uh, I ended up as a dev manager in the contextual search space. Mm -hmm. So I I ended up working on very personalized stuff. So uh, I learned very quickly that in converting people over to a search engine, it's got to be really personal for them. 
It has to be very much in context. It has to be something that's very natural. It has to be something that's easy and very little friction uh, because Google has set this really, really high bar in search. And so I spent so much time over there that I think I was kind of a natural to move into to this space. But I definitely was, uh, it, it wasn't something that I just uh, jumped at the opportunity uh, because I wasn't really sure how people were going to interact with technology off of a keyboard and off of a screen. Uh, and it wasn't until I, uh, I ended up uh, interacting with uh, Alexa, now known as Alexa, mm -hmm. that, that I was really sold on digital assistance and uh, more natural processing as the wave of the future. Now, how long do you think there will be this sort of, I mean, we're looking at virtual reality, augmented reality, we're looking at a lot of technological interface changes. How long do you think we'll be in this sort of, you know, in-between state before we truly have a virtual assistant? You know, we, we very much are at the early stages of it, but I would say that what makes uh, today very different than, say, even five years ago is that technology has kind of uh, been catching up and the market is ready for it. So th the fact that Google has worked so hard over the years of digitizing the world's information, organizing the world's content, and that Facebook has learned so much about you, and that Amazon knows everything that there could possibly be to know about products, you have this ocean of information that's uh, specialized and personalized kind of all at the same time. So we're, we're hitting this kind of interesting point in time where now is the right time to move to the digital assistant, whereas maybe five, ten years ago, certainly not, because accessing that information was just way, way too hard. Whereas now, it's very easy. You can connect to an API, or the information exists in Wikipedia, or um, uh, in your Facebook feed, or uh, something like that. So I think that now is the time, and people are also ready. Uh, because people have moved off of the desktop, and they've moved into their phones, uh, they're walking around with this almost digital assistant in their hand. Uh, now is the time to start, you know, pulling all of that information together and making it just a natural, uh, a natural product. But but when we look at Google's attempt to kind of personalize search, we look at um, you know Amazon's attempt to personalize products. Um, there's still a pretty big fa you know fail uh, element to it, right? It, it still doesn't necessarily always provide you what you really want. I mean, do you see that as a big kind of roadblock for how do, how do you see us really truly getting that personalization correct? Is it a, just a learning algorithm that has to kind of adjust over time? You know, so uh, what I spend a majority of my time doing is is the actual interaction, measuring the interaction. So I'm more on the, the uh, metrics, analytics, measurement, ML, IR, training data side of things. And so I'm looking a lot at the actual interaction itself. And one place uh, that I think that we've failed is in the actual measurement of how a conversation succeeds or flows. And I think that piece is where these other companies are kind of falling over. They have all the information about you, right? They, they know all of your in-session context. They know time of day. They know location. In some cases, they know your Facebook profile. They know all of your session history leading up to that point, so they can build this really rich user profile on you. But the actual interaction itself just really fails. They're not using that information in the context that it needs to be used as seamlessly as possible. 
And so I think that users get frustrated with that. You know, the, the standard experience on Google, when you go to search, you're going to issue, you know, a query, uh, you know, best restaurants nearby or something. When you issue that query, you're expecting Google to then give you a set of results. A natural follow-on, a natural interaction from there might be, um, you know, places with, you know, the best whiskey, right? So you're going to go to happy hour with your friends. So you've got a set of results, but now you want the ones you want to filter, right? So sure. you want to go with best whiskey or whatever. And so the problem ends up being, you know, Google is like slam, slam, slam with their queries. You're going to go back and you're going to take the original query and you're going to reformulate it. So you're doing all the work. And I think where these companies are, are failing is, okay, what is the next natural reaction? So how to anticipate where the user is going next, using that to help you kind of refine your, your experience and navigate that ocean of information, narrow it down, and then make sense of it and then act. So and so with, with, with like Google's uh, voice search, it's been doing a lot of progression in doing the whole, I want to go to the Eiffel Tower, when was it built and having it know that you're still talking about. So they're doing a lot of like string searches, right? Yep. And you see yep. that, you know, also like Alexa and Cortana starting to get better with that. So with Oslo, what is it that, that, that like, I mean, everybody has a, a reference point that's unique. What's the unique reference point for Oslo in its mission to kind of become this, this, this virtual technological assistant, if you can say that? Totally. So I think that unlike a lot of the other digital assistants, you know, uh, that exists on the market today. So, you know, let's take something like Alexa that has a marketplace and you can install skills, right? So, mm -hmm. um, but what Alexa is doing there is that they're calling out to a third party service to accomplish the task, right? So they're going to, if, you know, for example, if I want to order a pizza from Domino's or something, uh, I'm going to install the Domino's pizza app. Or if I want to play my, you know, list from Spotify, I'm going to install the Spotify app. And that's a very similar, if you look at it, it's very similar to you being on your phone and you installing an app on sure. your phone, <laughs> right? I mean, and, you know, the funny part is everybody goes, how do I navigate this, these ocean of apps on my phone? If you look at where digital assistants are going to take us, they'll really replace that, you know, that 10 pages of apps that you have on your phone and you'll just interact with the digital assistant. And so where I think, you know, places like Alexa or Siri, uh, Cortana, the Slack, you know, bot marketplaces, sure. the Skype bot mar marketplaces, you know, they're offloading the task. And what we're trying to do is understand the world of information that exists and then help you execute on that task. So, for example, if, you know, let's go back to my query about restaurants nearby, now I'm able to refine, like you said, chain those queries together, uh, and then I, then I come upon a set of results and I choose one, right? Uh, at that point, you know, the next follow-on might be, you know, request a ride there uh, or book a reservation or something. Well, let's say it's request a ride. I may want to offload the task of actually requesting a ride, but the the difficulty in arriving at that decision was offloaded to the assistant. And I didn't have to, you know, query five to 10 times on Google, navigate between Yelp, TripAdvisor, Facebook, Foursquare, uh, go back and forth with my friends to decide which one we wanted to eat at. I was able to arrive at that decision quickly and then execute on that task uh, naturally after that. We believe that the place to hand off that task is probably a bit later, 
and, and to help the user kind of synthesize the world's information uh, is really what the digital assistant needs to be, needs to be taking on. And is that where you started getting more into, I mean, you mentioned being pretty involved in what you called conversational UI, right? The yes. user interface. Um, can you explain kind of what is conversational UI to you and what is it that you were doing with that within Oslo and, and how is that having an impact on these searches? Like, what are you actually looking for, uh, you know, in that interaction to kind of tell you something? Totally. So... When you think about conversational UI, uh, I don't like to talk about it in formal sense. I like people to go and just open up a messaging app on your phone and look at how you chat with your friends via text message, right? Um, you know, I, I, for example, the other night I was uh, booking a babysitter and I sent a quick message to my babysitter, you know, are you free tomorrow night? I want to take my husband out to dinner and I'm looking for someone how she then came back and reacted to me, you know, she'll say something like, yeah, I'm totally free. Uh, what time? Well, in that interaction, uh, that is conversational UI. I am, you know, I have an information task that I am trying to accomplish. I'm putting something out there to a, a, a party on the other end. She is acknowledging receipt of that. She is positively affirming that she is free. And then she's hitting me back, almost like a networking protocol with a question mm -hmm. uh, to, to which I would then naturally want to reply. And so that back and forth interaction is really what myself and the rest of the team uh, are focused on nailing down. Because we really believe, ultimately, at the end of this thing, if you can't do that in a really natural way, then you're not going to succeed. Yeah, it's interesting. Because you're right. It's like if I go through any of the current existing plans or, or uh, plans, search queries or anything like that, I'm given information, but it's on me. The onus is on me to determine what my next step is. You know, if I want to look at price or if I want to look at is it open, you know, going to the restaurant thing. Is it open? Does it have food? Is there a seat available? These are questions that would be the next thing I have to ask. But like you've said, I've kind of offloaded to now have to call the restaurant and ask all these questions, right? Or I'm forced to have to read more. Where it sounds like you're looking at a way to have a further interaction that allows me to kind of define these. So are you spending a lot of time looking at kind of what are people's unasked questions? Yes, totally. So, uh, you know, the way that we formulate problems in Oslo is we, like right now, the one that we're really focused on is the I'm hungry problem. Mm -hmm. So somebody, you know, opens their phone, I'm hungry. Well, you know, that can take, um, you know, just a completely huge set of different paths, right? Does this person want to cook and stay at home? Do they have a lot of money? Are they looking to go out? Is it now? Is it later? Are they looking to pick up takeout for their kids, right? Like, I'm hungry is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they can go in a variety of different ways. And so our job and what most digital assistants do is they, is they do this kind of slot filling or path navigation where they're kind of trying to lead you through that path. And what we're trying to do is understand what it is you're saying with the context that we have about you, things like your location, time of day, um, the entry point, are you coming in through the app or some you know, other entry point. We take all of that and then your immediate session context was the first thing you issued in your query to try and navigate you to the right task. So we're doing understanding and we're trying to represent you, the query that you've just issued 
uh, in some sort of meaning, abstract meaning, and then we can map that to a task which won't necessarily push you down, um, uh, you know, specific paths or force you down specific paths, but it will guide you down those paths. Now, the problem with this and the reason that it's so nuanced is if nobody wants to sit there and have a discussion with a chat bot for, you know, 12 turns, <laughs> back and forth turns, when they can just go issue two or three search words in Google, step back, look at the entire set of information, and then make a choice, right? So our real success and what I have to focus on is how to do that in the most natural way possible. When you say, I want to get an Uber at the end of the query we just discussed, um, you know, just booking an Uber is one way to go or to ask them. Maybe the next natural question is, did you want that for one or more people, yeah. right? Uh, and usually users don't mind that, you know, one to two additional um, refinements, but they certainly don't want to go down a customer service representative type of an experience. <laughs> You know, well, you, you mentioned you mentioned so much of the data. I always kind of envisioned like this, you know, in-car system, right, where you could essentially say, I'm hungry. Okay, I know where you are. I know your rate of speed. I know what time of day it is. I know what type of food you eat. I have access to your account, so I know how much money you have, how much you have budgeted towards food. I know what you haven't eaten in a while. You know, and you can start to refine the sense, especially if you can start looking at like, you know, biometrics as well. If people are, you know, what's your blood sugar? What's your current, you know, when was the last time you ate? You know, like, what is it your body needs? It seems like at a certain point, these systems will essentially just want to solve it for you. Like, to be able to give you a recommendation. Because if I'm driving home and I know what I want to eat, I kind of know that already. But it is, is the end route to essentially kind of bypass some of the questions and actually just make the decision for the person? You know, we've actually found that when you try and be presumptive and just answer it straight out of the gate, and it's not a fact-based question, is Starbucks open right now, right? And it's something that's more I'm hungry in nature. Users tend to, you know, they, you don't establish as much trust because, mm -hmm. you know, how do I know that you know everything about me? How do I know that you know that my favorite uh, waitress is, you know, is or isn't working tonight, so I would or would not choose that restaurant? You don't know a lot of that stuff. And... So, you know, eventually maybe you can know all of that, um, but it's unlikely. You might just, I don't know, maybe you just woke up on the wrong side of the bed today and you really want a certain type of food because of it, you know? And so I think that our goal is really to help you get, I'm going to call it a set of information uh, for you to then make the ultimate task. So we really look at Oslo as, as a sidekick, right? He's there to, to just for you to offload these kind of heavy cognitive tasks, right, onto him. And then you're still going to be given the power, you know, imagine that you, could, you only looked at three to five results instead of trying to navigate through dozens of pages of results, right? So I wouldn't say that we want to ultimately make that final decision for you, like, uh, like maybe Jarvis would, oh, I think that you really want, you know, you really want to go eat at Purple Cafe today. Um, but we might include Purple Cafe in the top three to five results and say, yeah, given your context, this is, this is pretty much what we're thinking you're going for. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely agree that like there's a sense of understanding that flow of back and forth to build trust, right? I, I think that people uh, will definitely appreciate that, but I, I definitely can also kind of envision this sense of being able to store, you know, relative data, right? Like 
when we've asked this question four times, we've always gotten a similar answer, you know, and start and start to kind of you know build up profiles for people. It'll be definitely interesting, especially when we find out how connected all this data ends up being. Right? Does does the, is this something that we separate data and protect it, or is it something that we allow data to kind of merge into a universal system that is utilized by everyone, like a universal API or not? Right. Totally. And I think that, you know, there's there's going to be information that is much like the Internet is today, right? There's pretty much every question you'd ever want to answer is out there on the Internet. Every restaurant you'd ever want to eat at is out there on the Internet. But the informa- the contextual information about you is really the holy grail and how you map that to that ocean of information is really going to be the beauty of this thing. I think that, um, you know, you were you were asking me like about where these other places, um, you know, kind of fall over or where we think that, mm-hmm. you know, we're going in a good direction. And, you know, I think back to a couple of weeks ago, I went to, um, went out to the lake, Lake Chelan here in Washington, and I was looking for a burger place with my kids. And it re- I, I started thinking about the experience of that. And I just queried for best burger. That was it. I assumed that, you know, in this case, Oslo and Google uh, would know where I was and time of day and what was open and all of that stuff. But then the next query that I wanted to issue was, okay, well, I'm noticing that you've, you're giving me things that aren't open right now, right? So my query becomes best burger in Chelan open now. Uh, and then the query after that, I had my kids with me, best burger in Chelan open now, good for kids. And I see these demos today where people are like, they'll, they will demo the query, what's the best burger in Chelan open now, good for kids. But that's not the experience that the user is having, The user is navigating that information as they see it. And inevitably, these natural language interfaces, a user is not going to come at you with this incredibly complicated query right out of the gate, right? So that's that back and forth interaction that you're making progress and helping the user get to what they want uh, and ultimately help them satisfy their task is the place that, that we're spending a majority of our time uh, and that requires marriage of technology and this very complicated human-computer interaction and design and measurement, because being able to measure success on those things in a variety of cases is really where uh, where people are going to have success. So where where are you measuring success? I mean, are you just looking at whether people kind of disagree with what the the dialogue is, or are you looking at being able to you know, test things like how quickly somebody makes a decision or even at some point being able to, you know, catch facial features or anything else like that, you know, through the devices. You know, it, it's, it, this is the space that, um, that, that I live and breathe in. And I would say that we are at the very early stages of it. The, you know, the things that investors want to see, right, are monthly active users, daily active users, retention metrics, all of that good stuff. Mm -hmm. But those are things that make it very difficult for an engineer to engineer. (laughs) They can't, uh, they can't go after monthly active users and daily active users, because that's something that how much did you delight the users so that they come back, right? So now we go down to the, the individual interactions that you're having with the digital assistant. And you have to look at what makes a good or a bad interaction as you flow through the conversation. And I am, I am ultimately convinced that when you break a conversation down into its subparts, that the success or failure of the conversation is how well you measure the, the uh, back and forth 
and the end of the conversation or sub-conversation. So did, was the user, basically two things, was the user, uh, did the user feel heard and understood? They don't have to agree with whatever was said, but did they feel heard and did they, did they feel like they were understood? Uh, so when somebody speaks to Oslo and asks Oslo a question, did we actually parse and understand what they meant is a very separate thing than can we answer that question. So if somebody comes to us and says, you know, where do I buy pants or something, right now we're doing food and drink. We don't really understand pants, but we should be able to, un we don't understand how to help you buy pants, but we should understand, okay, you're asking about purchasing pants, right? So being able to tell whether or not you heard, you were heard and understood is critical. And then as you move throughout the conversation, how well is each interaction ending? So each flow through the conversation, am I giving some kind of positive acknowledgement? And that acknowledgement can be by sentiment analysis of the, of the individual utterance. It can be by whatever the natural uh, interaction with Oslo might be, if we're showing a list of results, a tap through on a card or something would indicate some kind of a positive uh, measure. But as each one of those conversation ends, being able to attach a positive or a negative signal to it um, in, in line with was the user heard and understood is, is ultimately the way that we're measuring the product. And are you guys actually listening to things like that, like tone of voice if somebody says no, no, like things like that? Are you actually listening to that to determine like the quality or do you know if anybody is even doing that? So these are things that we are experimenting with actually actively right now. So looking at, um, you know, when the user, you know, has an exclamation point or says no, no, or yes, um, those kinds of things are working their way into our metrics today. Um, ultimately, because why? Because I tend to, to take the product and say the product is great and I love it. But I try and go out and look at how are people measuring human-to-human -human computer interaction, right? How do people study conversation? And, you know, ultimately, um, there's a whole bunch of uh, people out there that have, you know, worked on this forever. And they're looking at things like attentiveness, right, to what the user is saying. The composure is the user responding confidently. Expressiveness is, you know, Oslo funny when you expect him to be funny and serious when, when not. Coordination, right? So uh, is he not disrupting you and he's interjecting himself when he should? These are all parts of conversational and communication flow that have been studied for years that we're working into our metrics today because to, answer, to short answer your question, no, most people are not measuring that. Uh, I know a ton of people at all of the major companies, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, most of them just want to know is, you know, is their digital assistant able to complete the request, right? Is it able to, you know, just throw anything back at you, let alone actually understand the, the flow of the conversation. So how are you guys looking at, like, incomplete paths? I'm looking for something, but I got a phone call. Uh, I'm looking for something, and something distracted me. I have to put the phone down, and I have to go deal with something. I just don't get back to it. Totally. So this is where you kind of deviate from the the normal way of measuring things in a session. So, you know, the entire time that I was in Bang, we had 30-minute sessions that we would measure user periods of user activity. And they can tell you a lot, right, as people string things together. But when you're looking at something like mobile, uh, user tasks are broken up. 
right? You're going to be switching in and out of phone calls and moving over to your email app and stuff. And so it also, we've, we've started looking at uh, new versus continuing conversation. So if the user completely changes course in the conversation, and that we're using the previous session context in order to tell whether or not you're moving on to a different topic or you're staying within the existing topic. And so instead of the session, we still measure things in, in terms of session, but for um, was the conversation, trying to answer the question, was the conversation successful? Uh, we're looking more at the new versus continuing conversation thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. So right now, you guys are an iPhone app, but are you looking at Android? And big picture-wise, what is the? are you looking to be like an app on a phone? Is that the end goal, or is there something that's going to you know, kind of progress into other areas as well? Yeah, so obviously building something like this is not easy, and uh, we have taken a bit of a different approach than you know most other folks out there today. Most other folks are doing the skills approach or the marketplace approach, and what we decided was um, there's a lot of questions to be answered just in this back-and-forth uh, interaction that even if you just focused on one specific information task, uh, it could you could spend a lifetime working on it. And so what we decided was you know, we're going to focus on food and drink for now, and we're going to get really, really good at that, mostly because, you know, you're, you're taking a whole bunch of different contexts uh, into account. The information is changing really quickly, and it's an information need that people typically want to, want to do. But it's never been, we're not just a, we're not Yelp, right? Like, we're not, we're not going to be the best food and drink app on the planet and, and review app on the planet. Uh, we really do want to be that ubiquitous personal assistant. And so we started on the iPhone, uh, solving kind of the food and drink problem. Recently, we've moved out to, like, we do Pokemon Go, so you can ask for Pokestops nearby. Uh, you can do news and weather on Oslo now, so we're starting to branch out into that. We have some, you know, natural next steps for us. They're going to be moving uh, likely into activities and events type things. You know, instead of I'm hungry, I'm bored might be the direction that we want to go. Uh, and then stepping outside the iPhone for sure. Um, you know, the natural next steps, right, are things on web and Android, I would say for sure. Uh, but eventually, we want Oslo to be wherever you are. You know, we're a ways off of that. Um, but we've never, uh, we've never turned down <laughs> uh, in a mission statement. We've never turned down uh, an entry point. I would say, in terms yeah. of where Oslo can and should be, uh, he should be everywhere. Awesome. So, anybody wants to learn more about Oslo, wants to follow you, get more information from you, can you just give me a little bit of uh, the different locations they can kind of track you, follow you from? Totally, totally. So, if you go to Oslo.com, you can sign up uh, for our, for our beta. So, we're on the iPhone right now. Uh, like I said, be looking for some of those other entry points here coming by the end of the year. Uh, but today, you can install them on the iPhone if you just go to Oslo.com. You can also follow us on uh, Twitter. And on Facebook, Team Oslo is what we're known as. Um, go sign up. Tell us. We love feedback. Uh, one of our biggest things is authenticity. So Oslo doesn't know everything yet. We know that. We get that. But he's learning, right? So every time you use him is actually a time that we're learning more about the world around you uh, and how to answer, answer some of your questions better. 
Awesome. Heidi, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I really enjoyed hearing about Ozlope and also about, you know, just a lot of the user interface and some of the technology and some of the future directions we're going. Um, you know, love the work you're doing. Interested to kind of hear how things progress. And uh, thanks again for uh, joining us on the show. Totally. Thanks, Brent. Thanks for having me. Cheers. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.